Brum Militants. You're listening to the news on RTHK. That's going to create more turbulence. The economic statistics. A triple dip recession. Collapsing commodities. Monetary policy has to do the heavy lifting work. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to this Friday's edition of Money for Nothing. Oil drops below $60 a barrel as Saudis question the need to cut output. U.S. stocks close higher, boosted by upbeat retail sales, and Jack Ma becomes Asia's richest person, passing Lee Ka Shing, who's had the top spot since 2012. Today on Money for Nothing, we'll be talking uh, about um, the rising wages in mainland China and the impact that this is having on international companies that source products from the country's major factory hubs. Joining us for that discussion, Discussion is Peter Hopper of the Strategic Decisions Group. And for an update on market action in Hong Kong and China, we'll speak with Mikey Shah of Sunrise Brokers. Hugh Chiverton will update us on his visit to Morgan Stanley's Operation Santa Claus Directors, Directors Choir yesterday. And with us as guest host this morning is Richard Harris of Port Shelter Investment Management. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Renita. So uh, I think uh, Jack Ma rising to be Asia's number one richest man was a pretty Fun Friday fact. Can you beat that? Well, actually, the fact that came through to me this week is that Instagram is now bigger than Twitter. Can you believe it? Instagram's now got 300 million monthly users and Twitter's got 284 million. And um, I don't know. I use Instagram because it's easy. I have to compose something with Twitter. But um, it shows maybe other people are doing the same. Well, you obviously have plenty of things to take photographs of. It's much easier. You take a photograph of something and it provides a record, too, of where you've been and what you've done. Excellent. All right. Uh, We'll have to, uh, you know, get with the program and be taking more photos. All right. Let's look at uh, today's top stories. Excuse me. The U.S. uh, US stocks closed higher, boosted by an upbeat retail sales report. The Dow rose 63 points to 17,000. 596. The S&P 500 ended just under half a percent higher at 2,035, while the Nasdaq rose just over half a percent to 4,708. Investors were cheered by November retail sales data suggesting that consumer recovery was gathering pace. Richard, how did markets do elsewhere? Well, after the excitement of uh, the last few days, Asian markets were quite sluggish yesterday following Wall Street. Uh, Shanghai fell half a percent to 2,926, while Hong Kong fell 1% or 211 points to 23,312. Overnight in Europe, the markets were mixed, with the German DAX index up 0.6% to 9,862, and the FTSE was down 0.6% to 6,462. The retail sales uh, rise is the highest, actually, that we have seen in eight months. And consumers have been snapping up electronics, clothing and furniture. All of this is according to Commerce Department figures issued in Washington. The economist Stu Hoffman at PNC Financial Services says that the figure for last month includes additional encouraging data in upward revisions for prior months. November isn't a one-off. If you look at the last three months, September, October, November, uh, consumer spending has clearly accelerated. It's growing faster. 
Other reports showed that fewer Americans filed claims for jobless benefits last week and confidence climbed to the highest level in seven years. AP correspondent David Melendy reports that it's the latest sign of a solid job market. The number of workers losing their jobs continues to fall, plunging 10% over the past year. The Labor Department says new jobless claims, a proxy for layoffs, dropped by another 3,000 last week to 294,000. It's more evidence of a strengthening economy and labor market. When fewer people seek unemployment benefits, it indicates that employers are retaining workers and increasing their hiring to accommodate more demand for their services and products. Crude oil prices have plunged once again to new five-year lows, and the carnage may not be over. West Texas Intermediate Crude fell 2.6% to $59.36, which is its lowest level since July July 2009. And Brent crude oil dropped 1.4% to $63.34. The slide came after Bank of America warned that crude oil prices could fall to $50 a barrel next year. That's in the U.S. and uh, separately in Saudi Arabia, um, it was suggested that they would cut production to prop up prices. Energy Aspects analyst Richard Mallinson says it's difficult to see where the bottom could be. I think what we're seeing is a lot of trading in expectation of very weak fundamentals in the first half of next year. A lot of supply and demand growth being weaker, so a big oversupply and stock build. We certainly see by the second half of next year that starting to rebalance, demand growth picking up and accelerating on lower prices, and some of the expensive supply growth slowing down, so U.S. shale, some of the other sources of supply growth slowing down, and potentially, although it's not clear at the moment, potentially an OPEC cut coming in somewhere in next year. So low price in the first half of the year, but I do think they'll start to pick up in the second half of next year. China reportedly has uh, told banks to step up lending over the rest of the month to give the flagging economy a lift. Maggie Ho reports. Two sources with knowledge of the matter told Reuters that China's central bank will now allow banks to lend an unprecedented 10 trillion yuan for the whole of this year, up from a previous target, according to mainland media, of 9.5 trillion. Bank lending is a crucial part of China's monetary policy. The government tells commercial banks how much to lend and when to lend each year. The People's Bank of China has also bent the rules for banks so that they could be able to lend more than previously allowed. So far, banks have issued over 8.2 trillion yuan's worth of loans between January and October. They'll have to move fast if they are to meet the new 10 trillion yuan annual target. The start of the reported lending binge comes a day after inflation slipped to a five-year low, raising expectations that Beijing will move more aggressively to head off the risk of deflation. What do you think, Richard? Do you think the banks will move fast? Well, I think the banks will really move in accordance to what the government says. And the government certainly seems to have the bit between its teeth now that they've decided that they do want to reflate the economy. And this is the time to do it. All right. Let's bring in uh, Mikey Shah. He's a sales trader at Sunrise Brokers. Good morning, Mikey. Good morning. So, Mikey, what do you make uh, of this uh, news? Do you think uh, China's bank action will be able to stimulate the economy? I think we're, you know, we're at a really interesting point here. Uh, the market certainly thinks so, and and I think that uh, it will come through gradually. I think we're at the start of a, a, a decent, I think, uh, bull run in in China, which I hope will, you know, will last, you know, um, upwards of two years, uh, because, the, you know, it's it's been it's been like um, what do you call it eight eight years since the last bull run in, in China in 2006. 
And Mikey, uh, why do you think the government's chosen this particular time to start reflating the economy? Because we've been talking about the possibility of doing it for maybe 12 to 18 months now, and we've had words from the very top saying, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to keep almost an austerity policy. Is this a U-turn, do you think? I think it's... Um I think they've been, you know, over the last, you know, uh, period of time since Z's been in, he's, you know, they've been looking through all the all the different sectors and how the bank's been lending. Um, so the, I think over this period they've now started to work out where all the all the nuances or the you know the issues are, and I think you know hopefully that you know they're they're cl- more clearer in the picture, so that you know now they have more confidence that if they do uh, open up the taps on the economy that the money actually is going to flow to the right sectors. Well, the problem is we've seen in the States that it actually went into owners of capital. The money flew straight into Wall Street, um, into real estate, uh, and these sort of areas, rather than down to the general population. Yes, that's the concern. So, I mean, I think that, you know, even though that there's this big news and the you know the boost in lending, hopefully they will you know they will keep you know they'll have the monitors to look at you know wh- where the, that money is going, because I'm sure China, you know China being a net creditor of the world right now, although it has a lot of money, it has to be very careful how it spends it over the you know over the course. Um, if you look at I mean if you look at recent examples of Hong Kong. Um, you can see that there is a lot of social you know, disparity in the, in the uh, in the city, uh, which may well reflect as a you know proportion of what may be going on in China itself, and has been a good test bed to see you know how you know how the authorities are reacting to these situations. Ma- uh, Mike, just in uh, looking at the market and the bull run that we've seen happening, um, a lot of the naysayers are sort of saying, oh, well, it's margin calls. People have been buying on margin and pushing the market up, and if the market comes back, we may see a crash. Where do you guys think the margin call issue comes in? I think, the, I mean, the margin call issue is just, you know, is, is, is more the government just making sure that, you know, broker, you know, brokers are not lending, you know, over-lending out to, you know, to investors, um, you know, Ch- China still has a somewhat, you know, T plus zero. Uh, there's no T plus zero trading in the in the cash market. May, you know, but whereas in the futures, you can see that you know there's a lot of that going on. So, I think that, you know they're just trying to make sure that the money is flowing around in the right place and not uh, not not uh, getting to you know go, uh, getting into bubble territory. But but hasn't the margin call, uh, the the margin people buying on margin essentially borrowing to buy stocks? Hasn't that been an issue in pushing the uh, the market up? Yes, it has been in, in, in this instance. And, you know, but the thing is, is that then it's, it's also got a lot of new accounts opening, more people interested. So it's money is attracting more money, uh, so to speak. I mean, it's, it, that, that's how it's, that's how it kind of works in China. It's all part uh, of the casino. Yes. If you go to a Baccarat table, you will clearly see that, uh, the, the, the winning table always has the most audiences around. And it's happening very clearly, you know, instead of going into Macau, it's going to the stock market. I see. So, Mikey, do you think we'll continue to see that happening, this sort of uh, gambling mentality sort of leading the numbers? Uh, unfortunately, it, th- this is inherent nature of our, our culture, and I think that it will continue until you know the, uh, what the government is trying to do is broaden the uh, investor uh, or you know the, the different investor bases in the market, and the, you know there will be more policies, I guess, in, in, in relation to pensions and so forth, to try to make the money more sticky. 
And I think that, you know, that in itself will help, uh, you know, try to reduce the volatility, we hope, in the marketplace. Just looking at uh, Chinese policy again, the other thing that's been interesting is that they've kept the renminbi pretty well level pegging with the dollar, despite the fact that we've had quite a big dollar rise. Where do you think the, uh, the ideas behind this policy is coming from? Well, I think that, you know, if, if, if the dollar is moving up, then, you know, the, the purchasing power of, of China itself, given the pegging, is, is you know, is increasing, you know, for, you know, in that respect. So I think, you know, in terms of a simplicity point of view, maybe they just, call, you know, they just follow what, what the dollar is doing at the moment. But is um, that going to impact exports? Yes and no, really. I think that you know China itself is is in a is is in a, a, a change of phase in in its economy. Um, it needs to you know progress into services. We have an aging demographic which is you know closer to Japan than it is anywhere else, and and so you know we we really need to you know we really need to boost the internalness of the of the economy here as opposed to the externals. So, Mikey, uh, one last question for investors outside who want to sort of capitalize on China. I mean, we can do this now through the Stock Connect. Um, you know, the fact that these, you know, the Chinese numbers are so high, but as you say, they're not sticky. You know, how should we treat that information? Should we be trying to ride the wave? Or what do you suggest? I think right now, we're, you know, hopefully we're in so- we'll consolidate a little and then I think you know you you have to start looking to build positions uh, into the into the uh, economy. We are you know we are speculating that you know with with uh, bank yields at six percent that uh, it's an, it's a great attraction for you know uh, sovereign pension funds like the you know Japanese pension fund GPIF, um, and and we think that you know that, that that actually this is this you know that people should buy buy this buy this market on dips as well because i i do think that mm. the, the whether the msci weighting of china grow, goes up in, 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 in eventually uh, people cannot ignore you know the, i mean they've not ignored the um the likes of the growth of alibaba and tencent so you know given the fact that the economy from you know, the last bull run to now has grown 240 percent in in GDP. You know, you know, real terms, GDP terms, uh, versus the U.S. economy, which has only moved up 20 percent or so. Then you, you know, the market itself needs to, you know, needs to uh, reevaluate itself that that way to reflect. That. All right. But um, you know, until we, you know, the only the, the key thing really is we need to improve corporate governance and how we run our companies. The, that will be the key thing. The age-old issue of corporate governance. All right, Mikey. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Mikey Shah. He's a sales trader with Sunrise Brokers. The Nikkei is up half a percent to 17,348. Well, we'll be back to talk more about China's rising wage costs and what that's doing uh, right after this. How are policies formulated? How should the government allocate its resources in the budget? Boost the economy. Meet housing needs. Care for the elderly. Or should we focus on education, health care and the environment? Make your voice heard. Share your views on the Policy Address and Budget Consultation website at www.policyaddress.gov.hk. 
or call our hotline 2810-3768. China's rising wage costs are becoming a major headache for international companies. The country is no longer as cheap to manufacture in as it once was, and the result is that many mi- money multinationals are beginning to review their goods sourcing strategies. We're joined now by Peter Hopper, who is a partner and managing director at the Strategic Decisions Group. Good morning, Peter. Renita, good morning. So, Peter, tell us how rising wages are an issue for companies. Well, I mean, rising wages in China are not really a new trend. I think they've been increasing considerably for a number of years. But I think think where we've got to now is that... The typical reaction of looking at moving capacity out of China into places like Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, are, are, are starting to become limited. So that it's creating a new, a new challenge. Peter, may I ask you just to put your uh, phone away? Unfortunately, we've got some mic interference. Um, okay, companies, uh, given that they know this now, what kind of strategies are they using to sort of cope with this issue of wage inflation, if you will? Yeah, well, it's a, there's a number of things. I mean, <clears throat> one is looking at uh, the way that they design their product. I mean, in, in some areas, if, if you look at some of the, the most highly intensive labor products, if you look at apparel or sports footwear, there are opportunities to completely rethink the way that the product is redesigned so that it, it drives the possibility of, of taking labor out of the product. Peter, there are a lot of... Um People saying that, okay, Chinese wages are going up, therefore people are going to move their manufacturing elsewhere. But the sheer volume of China almost predicates against that. So aren't we really going to see China exporting its inflation to the rest of the world? Richard, that's a good point. And I I think we're seeing that a lot of our clients are starting to struggle to think, where do we go now? We've already the quantity that we have to buy and the the volume that we'd have to move to make a significant difference just just can't be accommodated by many of the new sort of emerging companies like countries like Myanmar or or even India which have not not been that successful <clears throat> so, so when it comes to um you know, the tech companies, because, you know, these yeah. days there's a lot of focus on the Tencents and the Weibo's and, you know, all of the tech companies. Are, are they going to face the same kind of, you know, problem? Or, you know, is this a problem specifically for manufacturing goods? Well, in, in tech companies, I mean, they have um, some inherent advantages because the production of your mobile phone or many other tech products have for a long time been uh, transformed into uh, integration of functionality into semiconductors. So it really becomes a um, capital-intensive manufacturing process with relatively little assembly. But compared to something like apparel or footwear, which is still fundamentally a handmade product, the quantity of people that are involved in making your shoes or your, 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 your T-shirt is still, you know, factors bigger than in electronics, for instance. Peter, what about the issue of reshoring? Uh, on the margin, of course, we are going to see some things, maybe some yeah. uh, specific items uh, moving back to Western nations. Uh, 3D printing, of course, could yes. be a big factor in there. Uh, where do you put that in the whole mix? Well, I think... I think 
to be able to take advantage of that, you've really got to sort of put it in context of the volume of product that that's actually made. <clears throat> and there's always a, a sector, a niche of, say, footwear that you can see being attractive to consumers to be able to pay the sort of premiums that would be necessary to pay for a, a 3D printed uh, shoe. There are actually products out there at the moment that are like that. Um, but there are some other there's some other trends that are uh, that that are also interesting. I mean, the if you go into any retail outlet these days and you look at the shoes that are on the shelf, you can see that that some are completely knitted, they're completely knitted upper, and many parts and no longer have sewing. So there's a lot of effort to take out labour, and that could lead that could lead to a portion of the business being a potential to move out of, of Asia, but it's, it's still a relatively small proportion. All right, Peter, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Peter Hopper. He is a partner and managing director at Strategic De- Decisions Group. Operation Santa Claus continues in full flood and a regular fundraising, if not musical, highlight is the performance by the Morgan Stanley Directors Choir. Top staff from Morgan Stanley have been belting out carols last night to the public. Uh, we had Carolyn Wong from Morgan Stanley on the show yesterday to preview this event. This year they turned it into a competition too and very generously raised amazing amounts of money in the process. Families and friends all joined in the fun. Hugh Chiverton met up with the co-CEO for the Asia-Pacific, Gokul Laroya. Congratulations, uh, a record amount. It is. It's been actually it's been growing every year, and um, we're delighted that it's uh, ahead of where it was last year. How do you actually raise the money? So we do two things. One's the choir. Uh, the other is a, a bake auction, and that's terrific because everyone in the firm gets involved. Um, my co-CEO Wei Christensen actually baked a cake and brought it from Beijing, and then people bid on it. So everyone does it. It's a lot of fun, and um, people just love participating in it. This is great, isn't it? The, the, and you, you had a competitive element for the first time. We did. That was, you know... Uh, we couldn't resist. We couldn't resist. You know, we can't help ourselves from time to time. Um, but that gets more people involved. Uh, doesn't improve the quality of the singing, necessarily. I'm not sure it did. I'm not sure it did. <laughs> 
certain numbers. The moment we we actually got them to do it without the piano, yeah. and we got them to do it a couple, it was just you know. But we'll do you know every year we improve. We raise more money and we improve our singing. <laughs> okay, and a new venue as well for it as well, and a new little plan for it. So thank you very. Much. Why do you keep supporting Operation Santa Claus? It's a terrific cause. They've got a bunch of different charities within it that are, uh, I think, doing an incredible work. And uh, the Rainbow Project, the one that we actually uh, support as our core charity, as I said, uh, does does really good work. You know, it's it's a core part of Hong Kong society. Uh, we've been here a long time. We're going to be here a long time. We want to be as integral about a society as we can. So we love doing it. We're going to continue to do it. We love having you do it. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you very much. Great occasion. Thank you. Thank you. Three point three million. Uh, that's pretty outstanding. What do you think, Richard? Well, uh, I think it's fantastic, but I just hope they don't give up their day jobs because um, I don't think they're going to be competing much on the singing front. Well, he says that the aim is that the quality of singing goes up every year. You yep. know, along as long as the money, money goes up every year money. too, which is pretty good. <gasps> All right. Well, here we are uh, almost at the end of the show. Let's take a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is uh, up uh, 127 points to 17,385. Australia's ASX index is up eight points to 5,216. And Seoul's Kospi is up five points to 1,921. Brent crude oil is currently at $63.68. Wow, that's low. And gold is at $1,226.70 per ounce. It's gotten a little boost with uh, the drop in oil prices. All right, Richard, with a minute or so left, what should we be looking out for uh, at the end? Well, we are at the end of this week, so early into next week. Well, we are uh, looking very much, I think, at uh, rolling into the end of the year. I guess we've probably had our excitement for December, uh, and it'll slow down from here. And most professional investors will pretty well be closing their books by now. Okay, so are you saying that we can just say, okay, good night, goodbye, and we'll see you next year? Yeah, Surely not. Yeah, go on holiday. Go on holiday? Yeah. But yeah. you're going to be here next week. It's the best thing for investors. A lot of the time, the best thing for investors is just to sit on your hands. So what, what are you going to talk about on the show next week if everybody's we'll on holiday? To, we'll have lots to talk about on the show. <laughs> All right, Richard. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. That is Richard Harris. Uh, he is our regular Friday co-host, and he will be actually hosting the show starting uh, Thursday next week all the way up until the first week of January. Well, uh, it, this is Renita Malhotra Hora wrapping up on Money for Nothing. And let's take a quick look at the weather forecast before we depart. Today will be mainly cloudy and dry. Rather cool in the morning and at night with sunny intervals in the afternoon and a maximum temperature of around 18 degrees, moderate to fresh northerly winds and occasionally strong offshore. Currently, the temperature is 15 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 61%. It's time for the half hour news with Todd Harding. The convener of the Executive Council has called on the government to fulfil its promise to create a platform for multi-party talks on constitutional development as soon as possible. WK Lam was speaking after the 75-day occupation of roads around the government's headquarters was brought to an end yesterday with no violence but nearly 250 arrests. I do hope that after this uh, clearance exercise, the second stage consultation exercise could begin as soon as possible. And I'd also uh, call upon the government to uh, begin this platform of multi-party talks on the future 
uh, of political reform again as soon as possible because it can only be through dialogue, it can only be through civilized uh, 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 debate, it can only be through seeking compromise on all sides that we can move ahead. 247 people were arrested for refusing to leave the protest area. Many of them have since been released, including the head of the Federation of Students, Alex Chow, and next media boss, Jimmy Lai. Assistant Police Commissioner Cheung Tak Kung warned protesters against further attempts to occupy roads. Some radicals and troublemakers might scatter to different areas and create chaos in order to attempt to block the roads again. I stress that police are duty-bound to maintain public peace and to protect public order, we will take resolute action against anyone who disrupts public order by blocking other roads or roads that have been reopened. Mr Cheung said police would soon clear the last remaining occupied camp in Causeway Bay, though he refused to say exactly when that would happen. The director of the Central Intelligence Agency, John Brennan, has defended some of his agency's interrogation methods after the September the 11th attacks. Mr Brennan said the methods used were approved by the then-US administration. In many respects, 